I, I never really thought of you typing in name Ja Rule so much in a, in a note. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of Isle of the Dam. Sorry for the delay, but uh, shit happens, but no. <laughs> We're back. Hope you enjoyed what Kent wrote, because I did. I'm Brian, he's Kent. I put this stuff out of order. I don't know why, but we're here and we're going to review lots of movies and stuff. How are you doing, Kent? I'm doing fine. I hope everybody did like that material that I put up. Uh, yeah. it's just like last year, I put up my top 25 along with... Uh, sort of a 10 disappointing films and a best of the rest. And, you know, it's it's funny. People have said that I'm a talented writer, and I, I want to believe that, but most of my head just goes back to my sophomore English teacher who kept giving me C's, so. jeez. <laughs> oh, um, no, I think you're pretty talented. You're a lot better writer than I am, which is why you do not see written material from me on the set. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, but seriously, if you if you haven't checked it out, definitely uh, check it out. It's it's uh, it would it would be up where last we, this episode was supposed to be last week, um, but we got a lot of stuff to run through, so let's jump in it. We got a lot of news to review. Um, first, we're going to start off with uh, something that was on Hulu, and yes, there's there's been two documentaries about this whole ordeal, luxury music festival. I want to say. <laughs> And of course, I'm talking about. Uh, so Netflix had one called I don't remember because I didn't Fire. watch Netflix one. Mm-hmm. Which it, which but, that uh, is the one that I actually saw. Wait, was it the Netflix one? But yeah, so the first thing we're going to talk about is uh, there. There was there's about two documentaries on this thing we're about to talk about. So we watch one of the two. I think watching both of them would be weird. But Hulu also had one um, of this uh, basically luxury music festival. I guess you could call it. And um, I don't know, I forget what the Hulu one was called, but the Netflix one that we watched is called... Fire with a Y. Fire. Yes. It's interesting. It's a very fucked up situation. Kent, what did you think? Well, it, it's... Uh, it, like I said, it's interesting, and it's a, it's a solid documentary in terms of how they made it. In terms of the differences between the two, I didn't watch either, either, uh, and... Frankly, it's because while it's certainly interesting as a story and an event and a messed up situation, I don't care enough to watch two documentaries about the same subject. But from what I'm left to understand, the Netflix one is mostly about the – it interviews the people who are involved in putting on the festival and dealing with the gentleman who more or less headed up everything. What the heck was his name? Billy McFarland. Uh, yeah. Right. And the Hulu one is actually more about Billy himself, and they act, kind of maybe paid him for his participation, whereas the Netflix one doesn't. So what you've got is a lot of finger-pointing, especially in the Netflix one, where people are saying, well, we just didn't know, and Billy fooled everybody, and Right. You don't know how much of that is true and how much of that is cover your ass because you'd think that at some point somebody would say no. But. <laughs> right. I mean, so the Netflix one is called The Greatest Part That Never Happened, but the Who's one is called Fire Fraud. So, yeah, even in the names right there, you can see sort of the, the, the difference in how they're trying to um, frame it. But yeah, it basically, I'm sure most people know about, or at least have heard in passing about this giant event that was supposed to um, have had, <laughs> the failed thing that was supposed to happen in, in 2017, I believe it was, what, April and April and May in, in the Bahamas, and it was a big kind of fucking ordeal. Yeah, it's it led to lawsuits and criminal investigations, and yeah, so I mean, kind of it's kind of messed up that uh there's a lot of people that were kind of hoodwinked in um yeah i I did enjoy seeing the bit where some middle class kid won like a ticket at work and they sent him down there and he was watching all of these 
young rich people lose their minds, <laughs> and he was laughing about everything. So yeah, I mean, this is. I mean, I think they said that. What is? I don't. I don't have it written down, but I want to say this. I think this sounds crazy. I think they said that the day tickets were like what five hundred to like. 1500 I think, and the VIP packages were airfare and stuff were up to like $12,000 and stuff, so yeah. it's like insane amount of money that people are dropping on this quote-unquote promised eco-friendly modern music festival with celebrity chefs and 30 different music groups and all this stuff. Yeah. It's just, it's insane. Yeah, like, and, and uh, the way that the Netflix documentary puts it is basically... Billy sold all these tickets before right. he had even started to consider anything as far as the logistics go. Like, they just sold right. tickets. They didn't yes. worry about was, whether was... they were going to have the resources for anything. Right. And then they continually fucked everything up. So... <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty much they pre-sold everything in the assumption that, okay, we get the money, but we're going to make this sound amazing, everyone's going to want to go, we promise all this shit, we get all the money, and then it was like, when it came to the execution, uh, fuck. <laughs> like, so, yeah, it, it, it's just, it's actually pretty fascinating. Obviously, a lot of it, it was, bands backed out. Everything it was just a giant clusterfuck, honestly. Which I said, of course, I like I said, lets people losing their minds, like you said, and also lawsuits and criminal investigations, and mm -hmm. it's just. Do I recommend it? Yes, but yeah. do I want to spend more than ninety minutes thinking about it as anything right. more than a I can't believe that this happened right. type of situation? This, this... Not really. Right, like this actually happened. <laughs> so, at the end, of, at the end of the day, justice was served. I guess. I mean, he was uh, charged with wire fraud and arrested. I, I don't know. It, it's it's one of those things. Like, yeah, it's it's like it's like watching a car crash, basically, in an odd sort of way. Yeah, wow, America is stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's like watching a car crash that took eighteen months over the course of ninety minutes. So. Right. Yeah. So that that's. I agree. I like. I check it out. I'm not gonna say like, oh my god, you need to run and watch it right now. I mean, it was okay. It's it's kind of fucked up, and it's like you said, it's kind of something to to watch. But uh, it's not. A, it's a, it's a well made documentary. But um, so that was our first thing. The next thing that we both watched was a direct to a DVD or Blu-ray DVD, whatever you want to call it, streaming, whatever <laughs> the way you watched it. Is uh, the next in the DC animated movie universe? I guess I'm calling because it, it takes place in their their mm -hmm. their shared uh, Reign of the Superman, which is the second half of the story that started with Death of Superman, which I really liked. And I know you didn't like as much of me, but you still liked it. So, what did you think of this one? Which is pretty much the second half of the story. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how they follow it up as well. But yeah, like you said, it's the yeah. more or less the second half of. Death of Superman, and honestly, I think I might like it a little bit more than that film, much like mm -hmm. in the comics, I, I liked the Reign of the uh, Superman story a little bit more than the Death of Superman story, uh, despite the differences from the source material, which are many, just like right. the last movie, but right. I can understand why some people wouldn't, uh, because I could see some people looking at this and it being both too slight and too complex at the same time. As strange mm. as that is, because you're dealing with so many different characters and storylines at the same right. time, while at the same time there's not all that much plot to go around in some cases. So it's uh, if you're not already familiar with the story, it might be a little bit confusing. But yeah, that's what I was just about to say is is you know unless you're like pretty much know the a casual fan at least of Superman the DC universe, if you're going in like clean you'd probably be able to be like i have no idea what i just watched like it's especially <laughs> you're you're dealing with four new characters that are replacing superman you've got luthor you've got dark side you've got all these other side characters and it, it is a lot to take in in a 87 minute movie you know which is actually one of the longer um animated movies they've done but it's still a lot of plot to get through and like you said it it it's not exactly like, uh, it, it doesn't like kind of take you by the hand through it. It sort of like assumes that you know a lot. But at the same time, it's funny because I saw a lot of people, mostly comic fans that I'm either know of or friends with or, or mm -hmm. place not like the movie because of the changes, that saying it changed the story too much. Where to me, 
I feel that yes, but at the same time, so basically in the in the original comic version of Return of the Superman, there was no Dark Side. Dark Side was not in it at all. Nothing to do with Dark Side. Dark Side was not involved in the original. Cyborg Superman was still basically the main villain, but he was was he working for or or no he was. He worked, uh, Mongol was working for him, I believe, and he was this giant ripped character that was kind of like hulkish super space alien that was a Superman's rogues gallery, but a giant ship called War World, and they tied that in with Hal Jordan and Green Lantern and his city being destroyed, so it was a lot different than this, but there's definitely similarities too, but yeah, I think a lot of people are upset that they threw in the whole dark side parademons boom tubes and because I think yeah. a lot of people are just sick of it because that seems to be the default DC dark, dark side has been pushed a lot a lot a lot a lot a lot right. by DC lately and right. while I can understand wanting to go with a more familiar character than Mongol because frankly oh yeah there are some folks who might know Mongol because he he did show up in the Superman cartoon and the oh, Justice yeah, League did. cartoon he's not exactly a mainstream villain Oh, right, you're right. I forgot about that. Sorry about that. But yeah, no, exactly. He's not exactly. Yeah, right. He hasn't has not exactly been used a lot. But yeah, I think so. But again, the change to Darkseid it makes sense thematically with the first movie, and I didn't mind it. I don't know if I liked it as much in Death of Superman, but I still think the two movies together are probably the best adaptation we're going to get of this after it was awful, awfully done in Batman versus Superman and Justice League, it, live action wise. I mean. I know it's never going to be perfect, but it's definitely better than their first their first try with Superman Doomed way back, or Superman Doomsday way back in, was it 2006, 2008? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I mean, I think, I, 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 try, I am reviewing them separately, but I think still they're one whole story pretty much. But like you said, it is interesting to see where they go with this because the ending leads it into the, the uh, they do they like to do the Marvel thing of now they do like these little like end credit scenes or mid credit scenes to lead you into the next. And it looks like they're going to cover the next, the Jeff Johns, his last arc of Justice League where Lex Luthor, of New 52, where Lex Luthor joined the Justice League. So it's going to be interesting to see, I mean, uh, with the crime syndicate and all this stuff. But um, I don't know. But, uh, but overall, I think I liked it. Yeah. And both the movies together, I think, is a pretty good story of the death of Superman adapted, finally. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you something a little bit surprising to me, because you know how much I love Superman. I actually think the movie takes a step down when Superman is reintroduced. Like, I was actually more into it up to that point. Wow. Interesting. That's, that is, I'm surprised on that. I mean... But yeah, I think I can see where you're coming from because there's so Superman is the absence of Superman is more interesting, I think, than the and it proves it even in the comic because when he died, that was the most popular. I mean, it's like it sucks to say the Superman fan, but like yeah, I think the exploration of the the absence of the real Superman is more interesting than having the real Superman along around. I think so because then it just becomes a typical Superman story again. So. Um, so you saw a bunch of theatrical stuff that I didn't, so we're going to let you talk about the stuff that you saw first before we come back oh, to yeah. talk about the last two stuff that we saw together, but tell, tell me some of the stuff that you saw. Yeah, a few smaller movies that I did want to go ahead and definitely touch on. First of all, The Kid Who Would Be King. Now, I was not expecting much from this because of the trailers, which... The trailer was awful. Yes. <laughs> the trailer made it look like it was going to be one of the worst movies of the year. I am yeah. super serious about that. I had no interest in this movie, I'm, and I kept asking myself, why do they keep playing this? This is not going to do anything. And then I found out who was behind it. I found out the pedigree behind the film, and that's Joe Cornish. Now, if that name does not ring a bell... He is the writer-director of Attack the Block, which was a great monster movie. He right. also co-wrote the Tintin film that yeah. Spielberg made, yeah. that Peter Jackson is supposed to be doing the follow-up to at some point. I guess they figure they can take their time since it's animated and they don't have to worry about <laughs> people aging out of their roles. Once I found out that he was involved and I started to see that there were good reviews trickling in, I said to myself, I've got to go ahead and see this and hope that the trailers were just a disservice to the film. And it's true. The marketing department behind this film should be out on their ass. Well, they, they probably did will not be. <laughs> represent this film at all. Now, maybe it's just a hard one to do, but 
the moments that they chose that are so cheesy and so bad in the trailer are so much better in context. It's still a kid's film, but it is a well-made, solid kid's film. Now, as far as the story goes, it is a kid who finds a sword in a stone, and he and his best friend and his bullies from school end up going on an adventure to stop Morgana, who was King Arthur's main baddie, from taking over the world, and they get the other kids in school involved, and it's a thing. There's maybe a little bit too much Brexit undercurrent in it, politically. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. I don't know. <laughs> but, well, uh, it was a British-made film, so I don't think oh, yeah. it probably are. So. And I'm hoping it did better in Britain, because I don't. I didn't hear anything about his performance in the United States. But Oh, boy. He, we'll get to that in a minute, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's more or less it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a solid movie. Uh, hopefully your kids would enjoy it. Patrick Stewart does show up as the older version of Merlin. Nice. As opposed to the younger version, who is more like a 16-year-old, because he ages in reverse, but sometimes he reverts (laughs) back to his old... It's a thing. I don't know. It's not (laughs) a perfect movie. There are some times when it is just a little bit too much and and too heavy-handed as far as the thing about being uh, with the bullies and stuff like that, but that's sort of a thing that I think goes along with the whole English school subgenre. That's always mm-hmm. kind of been that way. I don't know. Um, I will say, I, I so I got a question for you. Mm-hmm. So it, more along the lines of the box office. So the box, it, it, it performed awful here. It was a box office bomb. It, it, yeah. it, it the, the studio lost over $50 million taking into the account, the high marketing costs of it. Mm-hmm. But so when 20th Century Fox was asked about this, they said that they blame the poor debut of the film to the medieval subject matter because they've been they've had hard times trying to sell that with the Guy Ritchie King Arthur movie that failed and Robin Hood, the recent one that failed. So do you believe it was the marketing or do you think people just don't want to care about medieval subject matter that they're trying to portray? Uh, Maybe that's like 25 percent of it. Yeah. yeah, Okay, so it's not. I mean, those interest in those kinds of subjects waxes and wanes. That obviously, right. like uh, westerns, don't do all that well. But then you right. had the Magnificent Seven remake that actually, as I recall, didn't do too badly. So right. a lot of it really depends on the quality of the film and things like that. Right. And this movie got an eighty-eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. The pro- the yeah. word of mouth should have been good. Critical reviews were good. Right, so, that's what I'm saying. So I think I think the problem does lie in the marketing, like you said, because the trailer, like you said, was a, like we both said, was absolutely garbage. Where I would like never, even in my wildest dreams, like I don't even want to see anything. This movie looked guard awful. Mm-hmm. So it's like whoever cut the trailers and the marketing that I think is to be half the problem, if not more. So yeah, it's just that was interesting that they decided to blame it on the subject matter as opposed to their. I mean, obviously they're not going to blame their own marketing team, but like, I just think that's kind of funny how they're like, well, yeah, because no one wants to see medieval movies. I think stuff about medieval times. Okay. Oh, and by the way, I, I, I just wanted to say the main kid in the movie, Alex is played Mm -hmm. by Lewis circus. And yes, it is the son of Andy Circus. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Interesting. <laughs> that's kind of cool. Hey, yeah. that's that's that, pretty cool. Yeah, there are a few people you recognize. Like I said, Patrick Stewart's in it. Rebecca Ferguson from the mm. last couple of Mission Impossible movies is Morgana. So it's not completely without recognizable folks, but they really seem to keep them out of the advertising. And part of that may have been because Morgana is like heavily makeuped and CGI. But, like, even Patrick Stewart didn't show up very much in the trailer. So it's... I I do really put a lot of this on the marketing and the fact that the people who edited that trailer just did a terrible, terrible job. Oh, well. Yeah. No, I, I, it, I, I think you're right, so... Well, What's hopefully, next? Hopefully people will find it on video, but... Okay, next up, uh, another movie I really didn't expect much of for kind of good reason. Cold Pursuit, we've been making fun of pretty much the whole time that it's been on the way since the trailer debuted, where it looked like Taken in the Snow, sort of like a, a, or a dark remake of uh, the Mr. Plow storyline from The Simpsons or something. 
Imagine my surprise when I find out that it's actually not so much a taken thriller, although there are aspects of that. Mm-hmm. But instead, it's a dark gangster comedy. Huh. And it's it was a little bit hard to tell at the beginning. Like, it, it there's not a lot of funny stuff until the guy's kid dies. And then all of a sudden, they have this really bleak gag where they go to identify the body... And it takes them forever to kind of pump up the table that the, the his son's body is lying on, and it just keeps going like on Family Guy when Peter's grabbing oh, his God. knee. <laughs> and I did start to chuckle then, and I thought, "Man, this is weird. Is this on purpose?" It turns out, yes, it absolutely is. It's a black comedy, and they did not point to it at all, aside from like some death wish right insinuations in the trailer so right. what it is is a person who plows the roads for a small colorado town named nelson coxman has his son killed uh, shows up as dead from an overdose it turns out that he was murdered by someone is part of a drug cartel, even though his son wasn't involved in the drug cartel. And this leads to him starting to kill the gangsters and the drug dealers, which they start blaming on some Indian gang members, which starts a drug war between the drug lords in Denver and the local Indian cartel with him caught in the middle trying to kill all of the gangsters. And it's surprisingly entertaining. And you've also got Emmy Rossum as a detective who is really wanting this to be something big so that she can sort of get some excitement out of her small-town policing job and ends up kind of getting more than she bargained for in the process. But... (laughs) The problem with it is that it's just the tone doesn't work. It sh- it shifts around a lot. It's actually a remake of a Norwegian film called In Order of Disappearance that was directed by the same director who did this version. And hmm. there's just a lot of weird stuff in terms of it. Sometimes it's really it seems really serious. Sometimes it's comedic. And just the tones clash a bit too much. But there definitely were times that I was laughing. And it, this is also one that's not doing very well at the box office. And I'll get to that. But one thing I will say just a little bit before I move on. The person who plays the main bad guy, Tom Bateman. I think part of the problem I might have had with the movie is that he sounds so much like Rain Wilson. You know, we just talked about Rain of the Superman where he plays yeah. Lex, Lex Luthor. So, yeah. I like, I have that voice in my head. And mm. for some reason, his voice just reminds me so much of that. So it felt like Dwight Schrute was the <laughs> drug lord, which didn't really work. But <laughs> um, yeah, I don't like, know if you're going to talk about this, yeah, but... Uh, go ahead. This movie is going to probably be most remembered for um, maybe the demise of Liam Neeson's uh, film career. No, I'm joking. Um, so during the press event uh, for this, um, he did say stuff that I'm sure everyone knows what he said, and then it led to the cancellation of the red carpet and led to this movie probably tanking the, in the box office, even if it probably wasn't going to in the first place. It probably was going to do not great in the first place. But yeah, it's this weird thing where this movie has become secondary to the giant controversy drama of Liam Neeson's comments <laughs> around doing a random yeah. press junket for the film. It's just one of those weird things where instead of talking about the film, he decided to talk about how um, he once did bad things and it was racist. And yeah, it, it was, yeah. So it's just, it's kind of weird. Yeah. I don't know. Well, and this is like, remember when I talked about the mule and how basically everybody in the audience was a 50 plus white right. person. It was right. the same with this. Like it was a pretty full <laughs> theater. Almost yeah. everybody in there was an old white person, except for a handful of black people, which I was surprised about. Considering, that is very like you said, what he had said, but yeah, uh, but again, maybe there's people that just didn't hear it. Because I mean, that's the thing. If you just tune out the news, you probably might have not heard about it. So maybe you know. But yeah, I, it's just 
it's one of those things where it's like, even if this movie was going to do good, it, it's just, it may be known as the thing that killed me and Mike going to hiding now. I don't know. It's just like, and it's, we're not going to talk about what he said or like why, but like, it's just, it's just one of those things where it become this big thing surrounding a movie that no one was, would even probably be talking about. <laughs> so it's, it, it's yeah. kind of, it's, it's weird. It's just one of those weird things. I don't know if it's going to help the movie, but I don't think it did. So, I mean, it still yeah. really didn't. Barely make it, it made half its budget yeah. back. So. Well, and, and you know, the funny thing is Liam Neeson actually kind of disappears for a decent chunk of the movie. Like, he's always <laughs> there in the background, but it ends up focusing on the gangsters for a much larger period of time than you would expect. So, in a way, it reminded me a lot of those 90s gangster comedies that you would see, like, Two Days in the Valley or Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead right. and things like that, where it's really it only... Maybe a little bit better than several of those, but I do recommend it. But it, I don't think it's a great movie. So, fun fact: it was originally titled Hard Powder, which mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, Sorry. which uh, Cold Pursuit maybe makes a little bit more sense in terms of the film actually being a comedy, but yeah, neither one really tells you much about it because no, he's. Not at all. Yeah, it's it's a I don't know, but yeah, there's a lot of gallows humor. It's it's better than I expected. I will put it that That's way. Good. That's good at least. So finally, you have what is it? The man who. Yeah, the man who killed Hitler, and then yeah. the Bigfoot. <laughs> and this is also one that I ended up liking, but it's it was still disappointing because I was hoping for more. Mm. Uh, remember when I. Talked about how the trailer kind of made me think of Bubba Hotep. Yeah. I don't think I was completely off in that because it is definitely more artsy and kind of a, like a indie film than you would expect. Mm-hmm. But there's also some weird stuff in it. The whole thing is I understand what they were going for in the movie and I don't think they went far enough. And I don't know if that's because they were trying to not let the balance slipped too far in one direction or what, but here's basically what you've got. Sam Elliott is a guy who was a spy in World War II. He killed Hitler. They keep alluding to him doing all of these remarkable things. And so Ron Livingston and a person from the Canadian government come down and ask him to kill Bigfoot because he's carrying a deadly flu contagion that if it spreads will wipe out a lot of the life on earth so sounds like a weird fun b movie the thing is that's only a really small part of the film a large chunk is him reflecting on his life and the fact that He's accomplished all this stuff, and people think he's amazing, at least people who know about his missions and things. And yet, uh, he's completely unhappy, and he did not accomplish the one thing he wanted to do in his life. And I won't spoil that for everybody, but the problem is, they don't really do a very good job of showing exactly how crazy all this stuff was. Because I get the impression that he's supposed to be almost like a more down-to-earth, James Bond's pulp hero spy character who usually they would show doing all this amazing stuff and I don't know if it's just the lack of budget because I don't even know what the budget was it, it definitely is not big no uh, but they spend a lot of time focusing on this relationship that he had with a woman before going off to war and and I get it because otherwise you don't really have the the turnaround but uh, it feels just hollow like i i don't know how to it, it is a really hard movie to kind of put into context because so much of it is just kind of lies there yeah you expect it to be doing a lot more but then you'll have something that's interesting that keeps you invested in it and then it starts to lie there again. Then there'll be something interesting that uh, invests you again. Like Towards the back third of the film, you actually get to the part where he goes after the Bigfoot, and it's like there's this 10-minute Sam Raimi 
short film in the middle of this movie that is completely outside of the rest of this movie. Yikes. And I'm like, if there was more of this stuff, this would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, two things. This movie was filmed out in Western Massachusetts, two hours away from me, and all there is in Western Massachusetts is just lots of woods, so yeah. it makes sense why they would film it there. But this must have had, like, a shoestring budget because I don't know why you'd want to film it in Western Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Two, this is the greatest thing ever. This movie may not have been very good, but the plot of this movie on Wikipedia, someone edited it to, it just says, Sam Elliott kills Hitler, period. He then kills Bigfoot, period. And that's all. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I don't know how to add anything, but that's the greatest thing I've ever read on about this movie. I will say, uh, this this is one of those movies that I think you really, if, you're, if it sounds interesting to you, you should mm-hmm. check it out for yourself, because... I have heard some people who have absolutely been over the moon for this movie, and I've had some people say it's the worst thing they've ever seen. And as usual, I tend to fall somewhere in the middle, because I completely (laughs) understand what they were trying to do, and there are times that it is a way better movie than it deserves to be, but I don't think that they landed it. So it's... I, I really do want to say that this is one to see for yourself. But, yeah, I, I'm not kidding about the Sam Raimi thing. Like, there are some, if they're not Evil Dead homages, I will eat my hat. It's it's like that. It's, <laughs> like, they even have him, like, he had, uh, he hurt his arm or something, and he, like, takes off the sling and flexes his arm uh, and, like, cracks his knuckles and it zooms <laughs> in on it. Like, in... <laughs> Like an army of darkness or something. Oh man! And and that and if it was the whole movie was like that, it would be one thing. But so much of it is this just really small personal drama, and then mm. they'll have moments like that, just like punctuated here and there through the thing. It's it's such a strange movie. So that's. Weird. I, I mean, uh, just it. It sounds. It sounds like a uh, one of those things you kind of you have to see for yourself because it's just. I don't know. I, I don't know what to think of it either. It seems I, I yeah. didn't see it, but it sounds interesting. The trailer was very weird. And yeah, I I, I'd like to see it again, maybe to shore up my opinions on it. But yeah, yeah it's it's definitely an acquired taste. So, so next we're going to talk about a movie that I think we were both really looking forward to, and that's uh the Lego Movie Part Two. Um, or the second part. Interestingly enough, would we? Uh, let me ask you a question, Kent. If you yeah. thought we were ever going to see a sequel to the Lego Movie, right? You know, mm-hmm. we would expect it. Did you ever think the director of it would be a man that directed such films as Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo, <laughs> Sky High, Shrek Forever After, <laughs> Out of the Chipmunks, Sh- Chipwrecked, and SpongeBob, Sponge Out of Water, the live action one? Well, there is one um, good movie in there because Sky High was all right, but. And Trolls, I forgot Trolls. Um, so that's who directed Lego Movie 2, the second part. But I That can't... explains so much. <laughs> so anyways, did not know about that until now. Just thought I'd throw that in there. But uh, So let's let's deconstruct this uh, movie. Um, I was really looking forward to it because, as, as usual, uh, I really liked the first one and kind of made Phil Lord and Christopher Miller's career, or at least gave them a huge boost. And the Batman Lego movie was really good as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was looking forward to this because I liked the characters from the first one. And I just came out of this movie kind of just really disappointed. I don't know. Just kind of, yeah, it was just kind of there. Yeah. Uh, it was a bad movie, but it just kind of existed. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's not a terrible movie. I'll, I'll yeah. say that right now. And there are some gags in here that are as good as anything in the first film, but as a whole, I don't think it lands. And unfortunately, yeah. part of that is that it feels a lot more like a traditional animated feature, like Trolls. And part of that is that it's a musical, which is a departure from the first one and not a welcome one, unfortunately. No, there, were maybe, there was maybe one song I actually liked in the movie, which was supposed to be a bad song. So. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just they try to do 
stuff from the, they try to continue on the story from the first one and give you the same characters but they introduce a bunch of new characters to me that just aren't as entertaining and honestly just made me not want to like the movie every time they were on the screen and just didn't care about them mm-hmm. um especially queen whatever wannabe whatever and a lot of them you know a lot of just the new characters weren't as good as the old ones and the old ones didn't really have anything to do really it was just yeah it's just the like you said there's a couple of really there's there's some funny stuff i mean the first time you see aquaman and he's mm-hmm. it's jason will aquaman he goes my man or, yeah, I start <laughs> laughing hysterically but you know those are few and far between um yeah. when you have a voice cast like chris pratt and elizabeth banks and allison brie charlie day will arnett nick offerman and you and a bunch of other talented people that do cameos, and you really don't have a good movie. It's just kind of, especially I hold the the first one in such high regard. It's just I, I honestly can't just I can't say anything else except that I was really disappointed yeah. by the sequel. Like well, it's just yeah. it's of, not part even. Part of that might be the first one was such a complete surprise. Like everybody expected right. it just be this naked commercial terrible that's, movie, that's and thing. it ended up yeah. being way more than anybody expected. Right, and I think that might be it because I, the first one was so such a great, great movie, like earth-shattering, changing movie that like people stood up and noticed. And this is just by the numbers, cash in sequel feels like, and yeah. it's not even. It's just mediocre, and that's being. I think I'm being kind to that because, but at the same time, I wanted to like it, but I just couldn't find myself caring about it and after it was over i was kind of just like well that yeah i wish i almost kind of wish it didn't get made which is never a good thing to to think of a movie after you see it because it moved these characters forward but as it moved them forward i didn't really care like the first movie just had such a great grounded you know it was like you said it had legos but there was this story behind it, and the story behind this one is, oh, brother and sister need to play together with their... And I'm just like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, just well, yes. Well, part of it, I think, is the fact that it's coming from two different angles, which, yeah. in theory, can work, but I think it actually hurts the film, because part of it, you've got the boy from the original film, right. and he's older, and he's trying to differentiate himself from his sister... Right. And the rest of the family to be more adult and more dark and like a friggin' Christopher Nolan movie. Um, and there are some great gags involving that where the Lego world is now this post-apocalyptic hellscape with sewer babies and things like that. And, and, and a lot of that stuff did make me laugh. But at the same time, I think that bringing in the sister's POV, it could work, but it feels so... It feels a lot more... I don't... I hate to say... Let me compose myself here for just a second. Yeah. When they introduce the sister's point of view, first of all, there's not a distinct enough division between them aside from the fact that the sister likes stereotypical girl things and she plays with the girl version of Legos they put out within the last six, seven years. Right. And the actual jokes and the feelings aside from the music part, which they apparently put in to more represent her and it doesn't work very well in this film, the rest of it feels like it's just, it's hard to tell who is who, and I think in order to make it work, it actually needed to be more distinctive. And that's, I think, where the whole thing falls apart, is it's going to be so hard to make them distinctive, yet work together. And as it is right now, it just, it it feels like kind of a mess. No, I I absolutely agree, and I mean, there was just certain things like the whole Maya Rudolph cameo at the end as the mother and she's like stepping on the Legos and she's like overreacting, overacting, I should say, just, and I'm just like, I just, I just really just took, I, I don't, I don't know. I didn't like what the movies store, like, and even the stuff with, I thought was going to be kind of clever, which was the cool Chris Pratt guy that he was also voicing Rex Danger Vest kind of just kind of was, eh, like, it's supposed to be, like, an amalgamation of all other roles that he played, and he's this cool guy, but they do this weird, like, time travel explanation, and I'm just like, I don't really care. Like, it was just kind of, 
I don't know. It just it, it was not as the first movie felt so new and inventive, and this just felt like you said like a regular animated movie that just is okay, but nothing to write home about. You know what I mean? Just I, I think and, yeah, and I think part of it. I think the biggest part of it is the change in directors because yeah, you've got Lord and Miller still on as producers, and they did the screenplay. They they helped came up with the story, which. Uh, didn't Matt Fogel, the other person listed with the yes. story credit, didn't he work on Spider-Verse too? I believe he did, yes, yeah. exactly. So, yeah. I mean, it's a hell of a pedigree there. Yeah. But I think the big thing is going to be the director, Mike Mitchell. Yeah, yeah, I think that his filmmaking instincts just aren't as good, and I don't think he's able to juggle that. And I think he's a huge reason why this movie does not work as well as it should. Uh, and just to me, I'm wondering why they would be like, well, you know, who's a good guy? The guy that did Alvin the Chipmunks Chipwreck, because, you know, I mean, I get the idea of, like, they're sort of similar. It's like you said, Sky High is a pretty okay movie for 2005, but, like, everything else on his filmography, from Trolls, Shrek Forever After, Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo, which I don't even know. <laughs> I, I pretty much guarantee you he got this job because of Trolls, because that was, yeah. look, that was a, Decent sized hit, right. and it, it wasn't. Did that have a lot of songs in it as well? A lot of like yeah. pop songs, yeah. So I think that, and I'm sure again, it's just like the first movie made so much money. A lot of times this happened. Well, we got to make a sequel, and it's just you know they already did the spinoffs of the Ninjago movie and the Batman one, which were both. I didn't see the Ninjago one, but they both supposedly good. This seems. It's just funny that this would be the one that would be the miss. But um, yeah. like you said, I think that's the only tangible difference that we can I can see as the director and um I don't know so yeah it's just it you know it maybe it's just I mean but I as pretty much it universally seems to be uh everyone has pretty much agreed that it is definitely not as good as the first one and I've not seen any like oh my god this is just as good as the first one it's mainly well, I I, uh, I have I mean there really are some people out there who like yeah. really enjoyed the the idea behind it and the the whole plot with the guy and the kid. Personally, I'm with you. I just did not think it worked as well. And there are parts of it that definitely made me laugh. Like Will Ferrell, yes, he's reduced to a cameo in this, but I actually right. liked the way that they handled that by having him just leave. <laughs> <laughs> right. Randomly. Yeah. Um, yeah and, like and, and the Bruce yeah. Willis recurring gag. <laughs> definitely was my favorite joke in the movie and it made me laugh a lot. That was really funny. But and, it's uh, also going to go over the heads of any children and that's fine, right. but... Yeah, it, yeah. Um, I hate, it does nothing to do with box office, but I mean, it, it's making about 50% of what the first one made and usually sequels obviously overshoot the first one pretty well or at least make the same, so there's something missing and or word of mouth, so it kind of sucks all around. So I don't know. Maybe I would give it, give it another watch when it comes out, but I part of me that almost doesn't want to rewatch it because I really didn't like it that much. It just kind of was there. It was it. It's fine as like a Lego movie in my mind of what a Lego movie would be if you thought it was just a regular okay movie, but it was not as good as what I expected Lego movies had become. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did. It's definitely my least favorite of the three that I've seen. Yeah, same. So. And I was actually. These movies basically keep surprising me in terms of how much I enjoy them because I liked the Lego movie far, far more than I expected to. And I even enjoyed the Lego Batman movie more than I expected because yeah. I figured that that one was going to be not as fun as it was. So Right. So yeah. that's that. And then we have our last movie, which is another sequel. And that is Happy Death Day to You, which is kind of a funny play of words of, which is basically <laughs> Happy Death Day to. <laughs> so, so this, as a, again, this one, much like the last movie, is kind of a different. It's a different, different director. I believe it's a different director from the first. No, it's night. the same director. Oh, same director. Okay, I was yeah, wrong. It, it's a different writer. Although I would that. imagine that in the original version, the director had a pass, even though it's credited right. to Scott Lobdell, who wrote the original version. Right. And um, so this one takes a little bit of a turn as the first one you could say is pretty much a slasher flick with Groundhog's Day mixed in, where this one is more definitely less of a slasher flick and more of science fiction 
slash comedy with some little bits of the slasher trope, uh, horror tropes in it, but a little mm-hmm. bit of jump scares, scares, but not not nearly as much as the first one. Yeah. I I just I I really liked this movie. There's a lot. Of, there's some things that are wrong with it that I, that we'll point out and I'll get to. But I think overall I liked it. I think just because the characters and the idea of it is just something works that just I yeah. can't it's like this inexplicable thing that just ha- maybe shouldn't work but it, it works because it's such a different idea yeah it, it's and, kind of alchemy to be honest yeah yeah it's just it, it's just one of those things I can't put my finger on but I think a lot of it uh Jessica Roth as the uh, she's just uh, as someone who came out of nowhere she is mm-hmm. just really good job of basically grounding these two movies and also be really funny and able to emote uh, and where a lot of young actresses in these types of movies would probably just not have done as good job. But yeah, I, I mean, this, like you said, this pretty much tries to explain the first movie had no explanation of why the days kept resetting. Mm-hmm. So this tries to explain it in a science fiction type way of there's this giant quantum reactor experiment, basically that the science students had created, which caused it. And, but Which, let's be honest, does not yeah. make any sense. I mean... Oh, absolutely the, zero, no. The original movie, like, the or the original version of the screenplay, from what I understand, the earlier yeah. versions had actually explained it, that she was, like, under a gypsy curse or something. Huh. So it's sort of a, a, a drag-me-to-hell type of situation, but they cut that, and I think it works better because of that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they explain it, and to be honest, it makes no goddamn sense. But... No. Let's keep going. No, I was gonna say, and um, it, it it takes a lot of the stuff. If you haven't seen the first one, you're probably not going to get anything out of this movie because it plays on the fact that you've seen it and everything that's different. Much like compared to it in the in the actual movie, but it is very much like the Back to the Future Part Two of Back to the Future, where they take stuff from the first movie, they explain things, they change things around. There's alternate character, uh, alternate realities, and things that are changed because of the, the things that have happened science fiction wise. So. It is very much that where yeah. you probably, if you hadn't seen the first one, you wouldn't realize, wait, the slasher from the first one, like they do a quick recap of the first one, but I don't think if you haven't, yeah. if you, I would suggest seeing the first one before you see this, if you want to see this, but, um, well, and I, and I, I, I gotta say, I am genu- genuinely surprised that they went with the back to the future two motif. They hid that quite well down to yeah. the fact that you can hear Bear McCrary doing things in the score that are cues. They're really trying to call to mind the, uh, I want to say Alan Silvestri score, yes. Yes. which for my money is like the best score of the 80s that's not from John Williams. Oh, but, I was going to say, without John, yeah, if you take John Williams on occasion, easily, yeah, like, yeah. there's nothing close. Um, but you, but what, what kind of surprises me about it is that, yes, it's got all that Back to the Future 2 stuff going in, which is, I actually think I like, as far as enjoyment of a movie, I, I think I like this one more than Back to the Future 2, because Back to the Future 2 is, like, a movie I appreciate more than I enjoy, almost. Okay, I can see the you same, that. It's how I oh, feel about a lot of yeah. Charlie Kaufman scripts. I appreciate them more than I enjoy them. But it also reminded me of Terminator, because Terminator started with a horror film, and then it switched to a sci-fi action film in the second one. So it's that sort of deal where they really continues from the first one, but it does have a different spin on it. Right. But I I think just the strength of this movie is the cast and the ideas that they take, they don't take it, they don't try to keep it serious. There's a lot of great jokes. There's a lot of good um, comedy. There's sometimes where the comedy got a little too much, where uh, I felt towards the end of the movie, where they have the um, antagonist, I would say, I guess, if you want to call him that, um, and the girl pretending she's blind and it got to the point of almost kind of like three stooges i'm like okay this is a little too far into the comedic area of like over the top comedy but luckily yeah you know what i actually even have that in my notes that it's so stupid and yet i did find it really funny and i think that goes towards showing uh christopher landon's filmmaking and how good that is because that scene should have probably been a disaster 
Yeah, because like when I first started coming, I was like, "Oh no, this is gonna this is gonna be," but it's not. It's still not a great idea, I think. But it actually doesn't go as far down the drain as you would make. Like, and the movie still kind of finds a way to reconcile it. And again, in most movies, I would be like, uh, uh, "But they do a lot more in this with dealing with the fact her mom died, and does she go back to stay in the area that her mom's alive now, or does she go?" For her boyfriend, who she which we're going into spoilers she, now apparently. So. Sorry, <laughs> spoiler. You might want to put that in the edit. No, sorry, but um, you know what I mean. It, it I was just like going on a tangent apparently, but um, yeah. There's a lot of like choices where it goes into a lot more of I don't want to say sappy, but like there's there's a lot more tugging at the heartstrings. Where in the first movie it was kind of like we're trying to just keep it still, like it's a suspense. I mean, it's a slasher movie, but this is a lot more. They take a lot more different genres into this one, which I, I give them credit for because yeah. it's not just this typical. We could they could have easily done a sequel and kept it just like the first one, and it probably would have done the exact same money wise. I mean, it, it, dude, this budget was nothing. Nine million dollars is nothing budget, so it's not doing as well as the first one, but it's already made its budget back. It's already made twenty six million, so it's like it's already successful so it's such a cheap budget that it doesn't but like i said i just there's something about these movies that i just really enjoy and it they're just good well-made movies of something that that you can't replicate i don't know i can't i can't explain it It, well i had a great time with this movie as well i just had so much fun and the whole thing doesn't make much sense. No. Like, the, there are logic, so many like, plot holes in this, and yet oh, yeah. it has this insane internal logic to it because it's right. so busy being creative and fun and inventive. Yeah. Bold highlight on that with the <laughs> premise that you just sort of let these plot holes wash by you. I mean, if you are the kind of person that nitpicks on things, oh, like yeah, what yeah. happened to the second Ryan, and if killing him <laughs> the first time didn't close the loop, then why would the second Ryan assume that it would that work the second time, and how come there aren't two of anybody else, and blah, blah, blah. Um, and did it reset to after the first time because she was already getting weaker in the first movie, but then she seemed okay in the second one for a while until later on. And uh, But... If and if you're the kind of person that nitpicks stuff like that, this movie is going to be too much for you. Like the yeah. cinema sins and honest trailers people <laughs> are probably licking their lips at how they can do like a two hour like their their thing about all the problems with the movie's plot are probably going to be longer than the movie itself. It's going to be like that uh, red letter media Phantom Menace review. I don't care. It's inventive, and I had so yeah. much fun watching it. And I just enjoy the characters mm-hmm. and like they're, they're just, it has no problem poking fun in itself and just having it's that shit insane stuff happen. That just is, you don't see in any other movies of this type. So that's why I think, like you said, the logic is just glaring in a lot of the plot holes and stuff, but mm-hmm. you just kind of go with it because it's just so batshit insane. And like you said, it's unique and creative and um, yeah, it's just, yeah. it's a fun movie i can't know the way to describe it uh, and, and i was worried I, i'll be yeah. honest i was worried because i loved the trailer but i was very worried about the, what the actual movie would what was going to be because the first one i came out of nowhere for me really and i was like oh, i really like the first one but luckily this this kind of adds I, I just if anything it adds on to the first movie and makes you know, so and if you want to believe what the end credit tease, maybe there will be another movie. <laughs> yeah, which, if they do make another one, they really can't go back and do the same day over because, if we're being honest, the performers are already aging out of the whole right. thing in this one. Right. So I, I do want to throw out, you said nit, people nitpicking. They did figure out one thing that I I was, I forgotten that I nitpicked on the first movie. I don't think I said it on the podcast, but um, I was like, what the hell was the Carter, I think, the boyfriends, what was he looking for under that desk every time they <laughs> she, they finally showed? I was like, okay, thank you. That answered my question. I think I had that. Yeah, so, I, love, I love that gag. I, I yeah. loved the w- way that they would do the callbacks to the first movie without oh it seeming God. like they were really forcing it. Yeah. Um, the suicide montage set to Paramore. It was amazing. <laughs> Okay, and the image of her flipping off the camera and she falls to her death in front of Carter and Danielle in a bikini needs to be endlessly shared across Facebook as a gift. 
<laughs> yeah, like I said, I think a lot of this would not work without Jessica Roth as the main actress. Like she, she really doesn't get enough. She does, she doesn't get mentioned enough. I think as real reason why these movies have worked as well. Um, but yeah, it's a fun movie. If you like the first one, I think you'll like it as long as you're okay with expanding it, not to just being a slasher flick. And um, again. Yeah. I enjoyed it, so... Yeah. I, I, I had so much fun with it. I liked the differences between the main universe and the new universe, and yeah. as far as plot holes go, I, I get the feeling that, like, doesn't that mean Lori is still out there on the day right. when she gets back to her Absolutely. original universe and stuff like that, yeah. but yeah. who cares? It's, yeah. it's great. It's, yeah. I, I just had so much fun. Okay, so let's go ahead and recap what we watched, yep. uh, give our reviews here. What do you give Fire? Um, three and a half, three, three and a half. I give it about three. Uh, Reign of the Superman, I give about three and a half. How about you? Uh, three and a half, maybe four. Okay. Yeah, three and a half. half. Yeah. As far as the ones that I saw, uh, Kid Who Would Be King, I give that one about three and a half. Cold Pursuit, two and a half, maybe a strong two and a half, a week three, somewhere around there. Man Who Killed Hitler and then The Bigfoot. Probably a three or so, although, like I said, your mileage is going to vary. There are some people who love this movie, mm-hmm. some people who hate it. Lego Movie 2, I give three. How about you? I wanted, but I, it'd be maybe a really weak three. Like, I think, and mm-hmm. it, it's not to say that it's really a two and a half movie. I think it's more that my expectations and my disappointment knock it down to that. Like, it really is probably a three-star movie, but it's just, it's just the, the thing they could have made with it. Could have made it. So, I, I, yeah. very week three, I guess, if I had yeah. to be honest. Yeah, a week three, strong two and a half. That's that's sort of where I am on the, the Lego movie two. It's, yeah. it's one of those, it should be much better, but it's not a complete wash. And then Happy Death Day to you, what do you give that one? Uh, I'd give it about four. Yeah, that's about where I am, which is on par with the first one, about right. four out of five. Yeah, absolutely. So I know we had a quite a lot of stuff to go through this week, but um, glad that we got it done. We'll be back with what the heck's in it? Wow, my brain is now you you shakes me now. What the hell's the universe? Um, blockbusters. Thank you. Um, yep. I can't think. Apparently, we'll be back with that next week um, and talk some stuff. We got be talking some more stuff in there. And then next time with Isle of the Dam, we'll have some other stuff, uh, probably Battle Angel Alita and um, maybe Fighting with the Family, if I can actually get it. How to Train Your yeah. Dragon 3. Oh, that too, yeah. yeah. And some good stuff coming up. And then Captain Marvel is coming out pretty soon too as well. Yep. So not the next episode, but it'll be. But anyway, thank you for listening as always. Again, check us out on our Facebook page or obviously movienoise.com slash Isle of the Damned or slash Isle, not Isle of the Damned. God, my brain is going now. <laughs> it's time to end the show. No, Twitter uh, at Isle of the Damned, no ED. And um, Instagram, um, I believe, is Kent Matrone and Xander Harris 291. I couldn't even think of my. I remember yours before I remembered mine. And Tiki Studios. I know all. <laughs> Okay. Um, Have a good week, and um, I'm going insane, apparently. (laughs) Watch some flicks. Be my closest friend
see Alita. Yeah. Just let me know if I'm right in that the motorball that they have in there is basically the XFL of rollerball. <laughs> you mean even worse than the did they do like a rollerball reboot like in the early two thousands? I feel yeah, like I, Chris Klein. Yeah. Directed by John McTiernan of all people. <laughs> oh my god. Oh god, why did he do that movie? I didn't know I'd forgotten that. Wow. 